she was like, what happened? What is going on? Why are you struggling? Why are you bad? So I was like, I'm just gonna tell you. I told her everything. I wasn't telling her in the way that I knew it was wrong, but I was just like, I'm just gonna tell you like what my life was like for the last eight months, you know? So I told her everything. She's like, Anna, like, it's gonna be really hard to, for you to hear, but like your brother-in-law was straight up molesting you. And I was like, what? And I was like, just totally in shock. Like I didn't want to believe it. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea. You're listening to Beyond the Picket Fence, where you're invited to take a break from keeping it together. Let's get real. This is the third and final episode in this little series we've been doing. We have heard from a woman who was raped on a date and a young woman who was abused and molested by her stepfather. Both of these women had support from the incredible women in their lives. But what happens when you experience sexual abuse and no one believes you or supports you? This is Anna's story. I'm Anna. I'm 20. And I don't really remember much of my childhood up until like 11, 12. 11, 12 is when I start to remember a lot. I don't know if that's due to trauma, if I don't remember, or what exactly it is. But I just don't remember. People are like, how was your childhood? Well, I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> I can remember like one camping trip and that's like it. So I don't remember much of that. But I do remember my teenage years and they were hard. Anna grew up the youngest of seven siblings. Because I was the youngest, everyone kind of moved out of the house and I was kind of left there by myself, which was really, really hard. So once I became a teenager, things just started to change. And I realized like how toxic our home was. When you're younger, I feel like you kind of don't realize the negativity and stuff that's going on you're just like living your life you know so I kind of took care of myself the majority of my childhood I make my own food my mom's health started to really decline like she's in a wheelchair now her back is really really bad so she was laying around all the time she wouldn't really feed herself very well either so I was kind of having to feed myself and my mom my dad was a firefighter paramedic and so he was gone all night and for 24 hours and so that was really hard because he was never home I spent a lot of my childhood by myself <laughs> and couldn't really have a lot of friends because of my mom's mental health that affected my friends being able to come over and being able to do things. So I was very much stuck in my house. When you say mental health, was it just like depression and anxiety? So I've talked to my dad about it and I've asked him like, why is mom crazy? What's going on? He, apparently she wasn't crazy when he married her. But over time, I think as she's had kids, it's gotten a lot worse. But she has borderline personality disorder. It's undiagnosed BPD, and so, which is pretty common. Borderline personality disorder is very difficult to diagnose because most people who have it don't think that they have anything wrong with them. They think it's the world around them and that they're these perfect little human beings and everyone else around them is trying to gang up on them and hates them and... Living with that was really, really hard on all of us kids. It's really difficult to explain this, but Anna tried. Okay, so me and my sister, we look very similar. We weren't able to have a relationship with my dad at all. We were never allowed to be alone with him. We were never able to do anything with him, really, unless she was there because she was extremely insecure. So I didn't really have a mom and didn't really have a dad, so I have parent issues. <laughs> so my parents are still together to this day. I still don't understand why or how it's possible. My dad's a trooper. 
He kind of decided when I was like 12 that he was going to choose my mom over the rest kids. But because he chose her over us, my father neglected us in lots of ways. We all have a different relationship with our father because of different ways that he treated each of us. But he pretty much just decided that he wasn't going to sacrifice the fights and the arguments and stuff that have my mom to have a relationship with us. So that has had a big toll on me. And I still feel resentment towards my dad because of that. Because I'm like, you had seven kids and you weren't a dad to any of us. So, I mean, I feel like he did his best, but my sisters and siblings keep telling me not to give him the benefit of the doubt because <laughs> he wasn't really a good dad as far as relationship-wise goes, but he did provide for us, so we do appreciate that. It was really hard for Anna to have parents, but not really have parents. It was lonely as her friends couldn't come over without experiencing the weird toxicity. And also, Anna seemed to be in trouble very often. I was always grounded. My mom always was super mad at me. She'd tell me she hates me, that I'm a terrible daughter. Just like really severe emotional abuse would go on. And so I would be in my room all the time. This made me think of Matilda a little bit. You know, that movie where the little girl really just has to take care of herself. Matilda made taking care of herself look pretty easy. But real life isn't a movie. Where there's a script and a director making those things actually happen. For Anna... Not only did she fend for herself, she often felt the need to take care of her mother as well. These responsibilities on such a little girl can become too much. So between the ages of 12 and 14, Anna fell into a depression and her appetite completely disappeared. I just wouldn't eat. I was super depressed. Like I never really had an appetite. I would just stay in my room all day because if I went out there, like I'd literally get my head ripped off about anything, whatever. So I stayed in my room half the time. And at the time I didn't really think anything about it. And I was like, oh, like I'm just not eating. You know, I didn't really think about it. I was just trying to survive. Anna didn't realize, but she began to develop an eating disorder as a coping mechanism. Eventually all of Anna's siblings moved out of the house because it hurt them too much to hear about the abuse Anna was enduring, they didn't really reach out to her very much. The only support Anna got was through some of the adult leaders at her church. It was a very lonely childhood, but when she was 14, almost 15, an escape route appeared. One of Anna's sisters needed a surgery. So I flew down to Utah to help her with her kid. And while I was down there, they were just like, we love having you here. Like, and so they were like, you should move down here. This was her chance. Finally, an escape from the abuse, a safe place with her sister. Right? Unfortunately, this isn't one of those happy ending stories. I ended up moving down there. Her ex-husband now was really pushing me to move down there. And I didn't really, at the time, understand why. But he was like, he literally gave me like 12 hours to decide if I wanted to live there or not. And he was saying, like, it's because if I moved back, my mom wouldn't let me move, which was probably true. She probably wouldn't have let me leave. So they're like, you're here now. Like, you just don't get on the plane. Then you can stay. And so I was like, okay, it's a better situation. The schools there were great. And so I finally got into school. I loved it. I thought I was super happy. My sister thought I was super happy. But the entire time, my mental health was started decreasing. And it did make sense to me because I was like, I'm in a better environment now. Like I'm with my sister. I'm with people that love me and give me like that love and affection that I needed that I didn't have at my other house. So it was really weird to me that my mental health was just getting worse because I'm like, what the heck? It should be getting better. Anna lived there for eight months. In that time, Anna's, at that point, brother-in-law, decided to take upon himself the responsibility of teaching Anna what a real 
father-daughter relationship is like. Because I had daddy issues, I had no idea what a daddy father what it should be, like what was appropriate, what what wasn't appropriate. And my brother-in-law was like, I'm going to show you what a father-daughter relationship is. I'm going to teach you those things, love you, give you affection, like father should have given you affection. And so I was like, great, like I'm so excited. I love that, you know? And over time, there were just like a lot of things that would happen that were, it's just not right. And I didn't know at the time, but I would continue to let it go on. And I still would live with like the guilt and beat myself up about that because I'm like, Anna, like, why don't you stop it? But I mean, I was 14 and I didn't understand that. I had never experienced that before. And because I didn't have a father figure in my life, I didn't know what was normal. Looking back now, Anna realizes how her sister was often on narcotics to deal with the pain from the surgery. She was really kind of out of it. So he was able to take advantage of me in a lot of ways. And he would give her more than she needed because he wanted to be alone with me. And so she was completely out of it. And I didn't realize this until I had moved out of the situation that she was not ever present really because she was either sleeping or she wasn't feeling good or she just wasn't really around that much. In situations like this, the abuse isn't just bam in your face. It starts small. And for Anna, it actually started long before she even moved there. When her sister and Daniel first got married, Anna began to receive messages from a random Google number. The anonymous number would encourage her to be sexual with him. And I remember one time taking it to my dad and being like, Dad, like, this random person keeps texting me and, like, trying to be sexual with me. And so he ended up just, like, having me block him. But, like, it would continue over time. And I had not put the puzzle pieces together, like, at all. Everyone loved Daniel. He was perfect. Anna and her family are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Obviously, no one is really perfect. But in Mormon culture, for some reason, we assume someone is a good person when they're doing all of the things they're supposed to. Daniel was a priesthood holder, attended the LDS temple, loved listening to general conference, all the things a quote-unquote perfect man in the church appears to be doing. Now, I hope we can separate the man from church here. First, no one is perfect and we never know what's going on in people's lives. But two, this isn't just a Mormon thing. There are good and bad people everywhere. Catholics, atheists, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, blah, blah, blah. You name it. I'm sure we could find a horrible person from each of those groups. At the same time, there are tons of incredible humans that make up the majority of those groups. So I hope as this story goes on, we're able to separate the religion from the man himself. This is not an episode to bash a certain religion. Of course, it's your life and you can do whatever you want. But for me, I put all of Daniel's crap on himself and separate it from my relationship with God. So in Anna's mind, Daniel was this perfect guy. He was, like, really nice to me, and, like, it was, like, a brother relationship. I had no idea, but from the entire time that they first got married, the grooming process started. And so when I moved there, like, it makes sense now why he wanted me to move there so badly was because he was like, oh, perfect, like, I have hands-on now with her, you know? The grooming and the text messages were randomly throughout the five years before she lived with them. So then I'm living with them, and for a long time, like, if this wasn't right— if what Daniel was doing to me wasn't okay, my sister would say something. She'd be like, this is not appropriate. So I was like, it must be okay because she's not saying anything, not realizing that she's completely drugged up and not aware of anything going on. And so the entire time I thought it was okay and normal. 
But then my brain like literally started to protect me. My mental health started getting really, really bad. I started to become super suicidal. Once I moved there, they got me on depression medication. And I think that had a big part in it. I think that the medication was not good for me and made me worse. So I'm trying, to, I still haven't decided yet if it's like that or it's the fact that like I was literally trying to protect myself and get myself out of the situation. So it's probably a combo of both, but that medication just kind of made me more depressed and made me not want to live anymore. So I ended up attempting suicide. I don't know how long I was living there. This was after for. the physical abuse had started. So that's the thing that's hard is like how much, like I have a hard time understanding what happened. Like the timeline, the timeline of, everything. of everything. Yeah. So I don't know. It was like very mild things. Like it would be like him spanking me on the butt or like the small things that were like obviously not appropriate, but like that were hard to understand like where the line was, mm-hmm. you know? And so that stuff had already started. That had stuff had started when I was just staying there to help with the kid, you know? I just have to acknowledge something. This has been consistent in each story we have heard. I'm no expert, so don't quote me on this, but it seems that the human brain consistently protects people. When talking about traumatic situations, the closer we get to the heart of the matter, the less details the brain remembers. So interesting. So Anna's body was trying to communicate to her, and unfortunately, sometimes that is just too much to handle, especially as a child. So I ended up attempting suicide. I overdosed on my medications. I don't think I really truly wanted to die, to be honest with you. I just felt like I didn't have control. I felt like I didn't have control over anything. This man was very controlling. Like he controlled everything. He loved to have power. So I think that was having a big effect on me because I was so independent before, like taking care of myself so much in so many ways that moving here and being controlled by like everything was a lot. So not having control over my life caused me to be confused. I didn't know who I was, like I struggled with self-worth. And I had struggled with self-worth my whole life just because of living with my mom and the toxicity that that caused. But it just had gotten a lot worse, which makes sense. After the suicide attempt, Anna was unwillingly checked into a mental hospital. So yeah, I was at the mental hospital for a week. My sister and him both would visit me like whenever they could, when the visiting hours were. And so I was like, oh, they love me, you know, like, and I just thought it was just the fact that I moved out of my toxic home and was finally able to like let go mm-hmm. of everything. And so all those emotions, all those feelings, all of those memories, all that stuff was finally coming up to the surface, which I do feel like that was a big part as well. But so, yeah, so they just thought that's what it was. But I remember being there and the therapist I had was like, were you ever sexually abused? And I was like, no. I was like, my mom would always say that my dad is that type of person and that he would do that to us. And so that was her excuse of why we couldn't be alone, which my dad is not that way. He's the sweetest guy. I would never do that. But that was just her way of not letting us be alone with him. And so I was like, I mean, like my mom would always accuse my dad, but he never did anything to me, you know? And so I was like, no, like I'm not. Like I was extremely emotionally abused, but like I've never been sexually abused. And so I thought it was crazy because she totally could tell by my behavior by the way I was acting, that I was sexually abused. And she asked me, she's like, anything happened at home like with your sister or anything? And I'm like, no, like Daniel loves me. Like my sister loves me. Like they love me. Like why would they ever hurt me? That type of thing. And so she's like, okay. She kind of just moved on. After that week, Anna was released. And within about a month, she attempted suicide again. This time it was more severe. She really was ready to leave this world behind and had even written a note 
I was hurting so bad that I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, and from the life that I had, I was like, my life's never going to get better. Like, and so I really did at that point. And so I remember writing a note and leaving it in my bedroom and like pretty much telling my sister, like, thank you for everything you did for me. Like, thank you for getting me out. Thank you for taking care of me as much as you did. And then I remember leaving the house and going, walking to the store because at that point they had locked up all the medications they had locked up everything. And so I didn't have access to anything. So I was going to go to the store and get stuff. I had thought about a lot of things. And I'm like, this is the way that it would only harm me and no one else, you know? Anna and I discussed this a little further. When you're at the point when you want to die, she said writing the note honestly feels like enough to make sure others know it's not their fault. She truly wanted to protect others, but she was just hurting so bad inside. So, so sad. Anna left the house to find something that would do the trick. But... Her sister found the note faster. My sister found the note, called the cops, and then the cops tried getting me into the car, and I was like, I don't want to. And at that point, I didn't want to go back home. Like, there was something that made me not want to be there. And I don't know if it's because the behavior with Daniel and me, like, got worse. Like, he started doing more things. And so I ended up telling the cops, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go home. I don't like the feelings I have there and stuff. And so, obviously, like, that's a teenage girl. Cops are kind of like, you need to go home anyways. So they ended up getting me into the car and actually taking me to the hospital because I was so suicidal. So I ended up actually getting admitted back into the mental hospital, the same mental hospital I went to last time. And I was there for even longer. My sister and mother-in-law never came and saw me. And I was super alone at that point. And I think my sister was really upset with me. And I think she was beating herself up too. Because she was like, why, why is she like this? Like, I brought her into my home. Like, I'm loving her. I'm giving her what she needs. Like, she's going to school. Like, she loves it here. Like, why is she, why is she being like this? And so I think that was a big part of why they didn't really come see me. When she got out this time, her sister wasn't quite ready for her to be back in their home. So Anna spent four days at a place for runaways. Um, It's kind of like a temporary place for runaways to go if they don't want to be at home or if parents don't want them home for a little bit. He told me I was only going to be there for a day. Three days had passed. Then I called Daniel and I was like, hey, like, where are you? Like, are you going to come get me? He's like, yeah, we're going to come pick you up tomorrow. Daniel came to get her, but her sister wasn't with him. The front seat was full of all of Anna's belongings. And before she realized, she was in the back seat with the child locks on all the doors. And so I started to realize that we weren't heading home. And I was like, what is going on? Why am I like not going home? I was like, and this is so much. She's like, yeah, I bet you do. He's like, it'll be so nice to see them. And was like totally telling me, like trying to make it seem like I was going home. And then I totally realized, I was like, we're not going home, are we? Like I asked him that question. He was like, yeah, no, we're going to the airport. You're going back home. It just completely ripped me apart because when I had moved there, I told them, I said specifically, I have daddy issues. I am broken. I have serious mental health issues. I was like, please, I don't want to ever go home. If you're going to take me out, like I don't want to ever go back. And so they both promised me, they were like, you're never going to go back home. I promise you'll never have to go back there. Mom's never going to be able to hurt you again. All this stuff. And so just to know that within eight months span, they're already taking me back home. Just like totally ripped me apart. At that point, I was just like so broken. Remember, she was there for eight-ish months. Now she was going back to the place she felt unsafe. Yet what seemed to be her place of rescue wasn't all that safe either. I invited Anna to share some of the abuse that she remembered. While I was there, the type of abuse that would happen was just like, obviously it started really small and would get worse and worse. He would, would always choose to snuggle with me and then with his wife. And I thought that was really weird. We would do like family nap time in their bed. I feel like 
isn't normal like with like as parents with your kids you know like I feel like that's normal but me being my sister sister it was kind of weird I did love the affection and the love that I would feel when I was little with my sister and stuff you know and so like I did love that and so I never was like oh I don't want to you know obviously I wanted that but Dino would like have me sleep on his side of the bed so he could spoon me but at the time I didn't think that was weird I was like oh this is probably normal you know Mm -hmm. and so Keep in mind, like, all of this stuff that happened, like, I had no idea any of this was wrong until I had gotten out of the situation and I was back home with my parents. And that's when things started to, like, come together. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what? This is totally not normal. Like, how is this going on for so long? So, yeah. And then he would, because I was, like, depressed and stuff, it would be hard for me to, like, take care of myself. Like, to eat, to take showers, to clean my room, to make my bed, you know, like, just those everyday things that you should do for yourself, I would struggle to do. Now, I wouldn't go a week without showering. I'd probably go up to four days without showering. But Daniel, for some reason, thought that I needed to shower every single day. And so he would pick me up, force me into the shower, and would make me strip in front of him until I was, like, completely naked. There were times when I would wake up in the morning and he'd be in my bed spooning me, like, hardcore spooning me. Remember those random Google phone messages that were sexting her? Well, those messages started again. I took it to Daniel and I was like, Daniel, I'm getting these weird sexual messages. He was like, oh, be sexual back. He's like, the more sexual you're back with them, we can get them more in trouble. I was like, I don't want to be like, what What do I do? Like, what do I say? And so he's like, here, let me help you. So like, he like took the phone and would like text back a little bit and stuff. And Daniel didn't really end up doing anything about it. So I took it to my school counselor and I was like, look, like the I'm getting these really weird messages, like this kind of stuff. And whenever I talked to Daniel about it, his face would turn red. Obviously, I didn't think anything of it, which, like, I freaking hate myself for it because I'm like, I could have caught all these signs. Like, there were so many signs of what was going on with me wasn't okay. And I was just completely, like, innocent, like, completely didn't know. So I ended up talking to the school resource officer about it and giving him. And so they were trying to figure out, like, where it was coming from, like, who it was. And they kind of just ended up dropping it because Daniel got super pissed that I went to the cops about it. And so he was like, don't do that. Like, that was not needed. So I just didn't go back to them. Like, we just didn't end up talking about it anymore. So we kind of moved on. And so that was really, really weird in the fact that, like, he was trying to literally get me to be sexual back with him. But I'm like, where do you find the pleasure in that? Anna's sister had one of those nice jacuzzi bathtubs. One day she had mentioned she might use the bath to relax and have some good old-fashioned self-care time, you know? It was earlier in the day when she had asked her sister, but Daniel had overheard and was eager for that bath to happen. Well, I don't even know how long the time was between when I asked and when I was going to take the bath. But he was like, you want to go take a bath yet? Like really pushing me to go in there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what are you like? Why are you pushing me to do this? But it was normal to me because he would push me to get take showers, you know? So I was like, okay, like he's just like this and super controlling. So eventually I went in there and I saw his phone propped up like by the sink I was like, why is your phone in here? And he was like, oh, it's just charging. Don't worry about it. Like, who charges a phone in the bathroom? Seriously, hindsight is twenty twenty. So he was like, I'm charging my phone. I was like, okay. And so like, I started to get undressed. And I started to feel like a little bit uneasy. I was like, something doesn't feel right. Like, obviously, the spirit was telling me, like, here, you need to get out. Like, it's not a good situation. Immediately as she sat down, she could not relax in that bath. I, like, looked over and I, like, saw the phone. And I was like, I need to get out and look. Like, I just need to check it. And when I went over, it was on the recording. Immediately, I got up, I put my towel on me, like, I didn't even get dressed. 
Hindsight, we know that Daniel had an Apple Watch that he must have been controlling that camera from. So I'm like shaking, like freaking out because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm being recorded, like all this stuff. So I took it to him. He was standing in the kitchen looking at his Apple Watch. And immediately when I walked in, he turned bright red, put his wrist down or whatever, like was stopped looking at it. And I'm like, Daniel, like, oh, it's really, really weird feeling that someone was recording me. And like when I looked at the phone, like it was on the recording thing. And I presented it to him, like kind of accusing him of recording me. And so he was like, oh, I would never do that. He like gave me a hug. He's like, I love you, all this stuff. Once again, not knowing what to do, she moved on from the situation. Another experience she remembers was when Daniel picked her up early from a youth group activity at church once. So it was just him and I home. And he was really, like, really wanting to snuggle with me. He would force me to snuggle with him. He's like, snuggle with me, like, right now. Like, he would force it. And so I, like, sat on the couch. I'm like, when, when you're forced, you don't really want it. You don't feel the affection and stuff. So I just feel super uncomfortable. And this would happen, like, all the time. But I would just be like, oh, like, how much longer do I have to do this for until I can, like, leave, you know? That night, he was, like, really forcing me to snuggle. He wanted me to watch Star Trek with him. And he knew I hated Star Trek. I didn't want to watch it. But he would force me. Daniel was then obsessively talking about Anna's breasts. You know when you're young and your sisters tease you about your growing chest? (laughs) I don't know. I have all sisters, so that seems pretty normal. But when it's just you and your brother-in-law and he won't drop it, that's way too far. Daniel continued on that subject of her chest. I was trying to like move on from it and like change the subject, but he kept bringing it up. He like would prime me about it and be like, what does it look like? Like, what does it feel like? Like ask me all those questions and stuff. And so I was like, well, Google it. And he's like, well, I can't because he has severe porn addictions. And so he had restrictions. My sister like made it to where he, he couldn't go on and search that kind of stuff. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Which I think is funny because he knew the password to it anyways. But it was, it was his way of trying to get access to me. Mm-hmm. So I got to a point where I was like, I'm so annoyed by you by not talking about it. And like, this is why I feel guilty. Because I just showed him. I was like, I'm going to show you. So I showed him, and then he was like, obviously he enjoyed that, and so he went farther with it and like started touching both of them and was like talking to me about it and stuff. Mm. Do you feel guilty about that? Yeah, I do, because I feel like it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had given in to that and shown him in the first place. Like, if I would have been like, stop talking about it, like, I'm not showing you, like, that kind of stuff, and like, stood up for myself more, none of that would have happened in the right beginning, you know? And, like, if I had listened to my gut about the camera in the first place, like, that wouldn't have happened. For the longest time, like, I knew that he was doing it. But I think I was in denial and didn't want to believe it. So I hold myself accountable for a lot of things. My heart breaks, and it only gets worse before it gets better. But let's take a quick break. Do you ever feel a little bit exhausted by your social media feed? Seeing everyone else's perfect moments and forget that they have a whole life going on behind the scenes? Don't you wish that there was a place to connect with people in a more authentic way? A place where the imperfection and messiness of life is celebrated? Well, if you want to connect with others like you, who celebrate the good times and are real about the not-so-good times, then join us in the Beyond the Picket Fence Facebook group. It's our secret corner of the internet where you can escape all of the highlight reels and create more meaningful connections. Let's stop comparing and start being compassionate towards others, and especially ourselves. Find it at facebook.com slash groups slash beyond the picket fence. Link also in the show notes. Can't wait to see you in there. Back 
to Anna. She is now back with her mom and dad and now really grasping what was actually happening to her by her brother-in-law. Now's the time where the survivor gets surrounded in love and support and gets all the help they need to heal, right? You know by now, that's not really how this podcast goes. When I went back to my parents and found out that all of this was going on and that I was being molested, nobody believed me. I had to carry all of this on my own. I was still like figuring out, and that to this day, I'm still finding out things he's done to me. Like from either what he told my sister he's done to me because he like has admitted a lot of things to her, yet still legally hasn't been in trouble. So was that the first time that you remember him like physically touching you? Did he touch you inappropriately when you guys were at Cuddle? Like so over your clothes? So I had this question asked to me by the detectives actually, and I would be asleep, so I don't know. Like, um, I, like every time it would be, I'm asleep. Like you would wake up to him cuddling you? Mm-hmm. Like often? Spooning me, yeah. And then, like I could like feel like that he was hard and like he would make that very known that he was hard. So, yeah. Oh but my gosh, and you were a baby. Okay, first, can we just, I'm sure you have gone through lots of therapy and everything and I am not going to be helpful, but <laughs> you're victim blaming yourself. Yeah. That's a lot to hold on to. You were 15. Yeah, but, like, when you have your entire family and, like, everyone you thought loved you and cared about you tell you that you're lying and that that didn't happen to you or that you're making it up or you're trying to ruin their marriage or get him in trouble or ruin their lives, like, it's really hard for you to not think that about yourself and be like, oh, my gosh, like, you're right. Like, this didn't happen to me. Like, what am I even talking about? Like, this is my fault. I did all of this to myself. Like, I would literally get told by my family members that I did it to myself. That, okay, like, wait. what he did to me was my fault. Because you showed him and you didn't stand up for yourself. Yeah. Okay, that's horrible. I didn't stop him from doing things or I didn't tell people when he was doing it or that type of stuff or I didn't communicate about what was going on and stuff. When, like, they don't understand that, like, that entire time I had no idea. So when you went home, how did you figure it out? So I never wanted to make my sister and my brother-in-law look bad. And at that time, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I felt terrible. I was like, I feel so bad. Like, I totally took advantage of, like, the such great situation they were giving me like all this stuff and so I was laying myself I'm like I'm so crazy like I'm stupid you know like I started like hating myself and beating myself up super super bad and so I never talked about what really went on there with anyone. When Anna returned home her mom was even more strict than before. My mom went super like crazy on me which was not good for my mental health like I needed to leave the house I needed to hang out with friends all that kind of stuff and so actually I wasn't even in school at the time she wouldn't put me in school she's like you can't go in school it was like a really bad situation because I was stuck at home with a crazy mom who was emotionally abusive. Somehow, Anna snuck the home phone and reached out to one of the leaders from church who became like her other mother. She was like, what happened? Like, she kind of just asked me, she's like, what is going on? Why are you struggling? She's just kind of like, what is going on? Why are you back? Like, all this stuff. So I was like, I'm just going to tell you. I told her everything. I wasn't telling her in the way that I knew it was wrong. But I was just like, I'm just going to tell you, like, what my life was like for the last eight months, you know? So I told her everything. She's like, Anna, like, it's going to be really hard for you to hear. But, like, your brother-in-law was straight up molesting you. And I was like, what? And I was, like, just totally in shock. Like, I didn't want to believe it. I was like, he would never do that. And, like, on the phone with her, I was defending him. I was like, he's a good guy. Like, all this stuff. Like, why would he do that? Like, why would my sister not, you know, like, all this stuff? And she's like, it happened. Like, she's like, you need to understand what happened. And obviously, she went about it in a more gentle way. Yeah. And she was just like, you need, to, you need to believe that it happened. But <laughs> So I ended up getting to the point where I was like slowly like understanding. And I was starting to remember more and more stuff. Because when, the stuff I told her like was very minimal. Like extremely minimal. And even like the stuff I'm sharing right here is minimal. But 
just knowing that she didn't know everything and that she was able to come to that conclusion that this man is the way he is, I was just like, that's crazy. Like, what? So, yeah, over time, I started to, like, memories started to come back. I started to get really bad nightmares. And I never really had bad nightmares growing up. And so it was, like, really weird for me to have them all of a sudden. And so I started to get, like, trauma nightmares, like, of, like, memories and stuff. And I was like, what? A year went by where only that one person knew. But Anna couldn't stop worrying about her niece, Daniel's daughter. And I was like, I can't live with myself knowing that if I don't say something, that something could be happening to her. One of Anna's other sisters had a baby. And so her parents and her were going to Utah to see that baby. Even though it was a different part of Utah, of course, Anna's parents wanted to meet up with that first sister that Anna had been living with. I didn't really have a choice. I, I wanted to see my sister because I do love her, but... I hadn't talked to her at all since I moved. She never contacted me again since I was in the mental facility. Like, I never saw her her again. She straight up hated me with a passion. And so I never heard from her. And that was, like, really hard for me because she was the closest sister I had. We talked about everything. Like, she was my best friend. And so in that time, like, I lost so much. So that was really hard for me. Anna knew she had to talk to her sister. And this was not going to be a fun conversation to have. She even mentioned to her parents that she needed to talk to her. They had heard comments that I had made about Daniel, like, throughout the time I had gotten back home with them. I was just like, he's gross, he has serious issues, he has bad sex addiction, like, bad pornography addiction, you know. And so they had heard those things, but they had never known what had happened to me. They knew something happened because something had to have happened, but they never really knew what. And so I was kind of talking to them, and I was like, I need to talk to her, like, I'm worried about Emma. And so I still, at that point, had never told them. But I was like, obviously alluding to it and so when I got there they were like well I think you should talk to her and so I was like okay like, I was terrified I was freaking terrified because I was like I know they're gonna say I'm lying I know nobody's, nobody's gonna believe me and so I told her I talked to her about it and that moment like was seriously so special because like she held my hand and she's like I'm so sorry that happened to you and she believed me and at that time she had two kids now so she had her daughter and then she had a son after I had moved home and so she's like, I can't go back home. I don't want him to be around the kids, like all this stuff. And so she believed me. Yes, she believed her. Unfortunately, abusers are so convincing and tricky. She ended up going home. He completely manipulated her into saying like, none of that happened, that I was lying, that all this stuff. And she ended up praying with him that night to get discernment, to know if, He's lying or not. And if he wasn't lying, he told the truth and that I'm lying, all this stuff. So that's everything she received, apparently. That's all the revelation she received was that I'm lying, her husband's telling the truth, and that he didn't do anything to me. Ooh, there better be a special torture chamber somewhere in the afterlife for people who use religion and priesthood power, finger quotes implied, in such disturbing ways. Okay, that's really mean of me, but seriously, it is so wrong to manipulate a person into receiving revelation to cover your disgusting behaviors. So Anna got through that difficult conversation, thought she had her sister back, and then bam, no one believed her. So that just like tore me apart even more because I was like, great, now she hates me even more and like all this stuff. And like, at that time, I wanted to start building that relationship with her. I was like, oh my gosh, I have my sister back, you know? All this stuff, and then it ended up, like, not ending up that way. My parents and obviously ended up finding out because once my sister knew, she ended up telling everyone. And so they all found out, and so they were all like, oh, Anna's not telling the truth. That I was mental, and I needed serious help. Did they ever, this is going to be a painful question, okay? That's fine. Did they ever say, like, 
she has what mom has or like yes 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 oh. so my sister actually while I was in the mental hospital was saying that my mom had borderline personality disorder and she was like telling them how my behavior was a lot like hers and stuff they were actually trying to diagnose me with borderline personality disorder but you actually can't diagnose adolescents with that mm. because their brain hasn't fully developed and so actually a lot of behaviors that adolescents portray is like bpd what a perfect scenario for Daniel because I know and there's like the thing is he knew that he left from the very beginning he knew all of that he knew that I was broken that I had parent issues that I struggled with my dad like all this stuff he like from the very beginning of we entered the family he planned this entire thing out like he had us all planned out and that's what makes me sick is like I thought we were close I thought he was like my brother I thought he actually loved me and cared about me but the entire time he just wanted just wanted me the entire time Anna was looking and hoping for one thing, the thing that all humans crave, love and connection. I believe wholeheartedly that is the root cause of so many things, lack of human connection. Anna just wanted someone to take care of her and love her. Instead, she got the opposite. I was completely alone and luckily like I had a few people, my adult friends who did believe me and like I was like I'm just gonna be straight up and tell you everything that happened because I don't want to be told I'm lying and if you don't believe me you don't believe me and so there was a long time where it took me to even believe myself that it happened like I was in denial and this only happened like two years ago where I finally like accepted that what happened to me really did happen to me and that no matter what anybody says like it still happened to me you know because having so many people tell me that I'm lying that it didn't happen like it was hard for me to not believe that. When you suffer with mental illness, you already have voices in your head telling you you're not enough. Anna was already fighting the demons in her mind. And now they were not just inner voices, but outer voices as well. Imagine if you thought, I'm the worst. And then a human that was supposed to care for you came and validated that thought and agreed. Yep, you are the worst. How do you even fight that? So this is what happened. So things started to come out and because I had reported it to her, what he was doing to me. So before I get there, actually, when I first moved there, my sister told me that she almost got divorced with him because he would video them having sex and would send it to another couple who also the husband of that relationship was going behind his wife's back as well and would send sex videos back and forth and Daniel would lie to me and say oh it's just so that we can improve or learn and become better at our sex life or whatever you know that kind of stuff and so I was just was like okay like whatever but really he was just like exchanging that kind of stuff and so that had happened within their first two years of marriage that was going on and so that was like another huge word fight I'm like she told me that like before I even moved there when I was just visiting and so I'm like that should have been an immediate, like, get out, don't stay. But I was stupid and insane, so. But I don't regret what happened to me because I think it's made me who I am today. But, yeah, so that was going on. So that sexual stuff was going on from the very beginning of their relationship. And so the fact that my sister didn't believe me, like, made it even harder because I'm like, you know he has a porn addiction. You know he has a sex addiction. You know the things he's done to you. And so it was like, why would she not believe me, you know? But she was so stuck in that relationship and so manipulated by him that she couldn't believe it, like, that she was in denial herself. And I think a lot of it was that she was blaming herself for it. She was like, why didn't I, like, catch signs or whatever? To this day, Anna doesn't fully understand why her sister, who didn't really believe her, eventually reported it. Maybe it was to protect her kids. Maybe 
She believed it, but she was so brainwashed by Daniel that she felt stuck. Maybe she was scared and in survival mode herself. We may never know, unless, of course, she wants to come on here and share her side of the story. But this is Anna's story, so we will tell it through her eyes. So it was now reported, and the cops near Anna in Washington State called her in for an interview. And this was super weird because I was like, this was like 10 months after I had told my sister about it. And so I'm like, why is this coming up again? Like, this is really weird. My mom came in and she was like, hey, so the detectives are on the phone and they want you to come in for an interview. So I ended up going to interview completely by myself. I'm 15 years old, terrified. Like, what the heck? Like, I go into this police station and I'm like sitting in this office telling her everything that happened to me. And at this time, I didn't really, there weren't a lot of things I remember it happened to me. A lot of what happened to me was still very blurry. Like, I think I blocked them out a lot. My testimony was very short and sweet. <laughs> also, because I was scared. And so I was like, I don't, I'm opening up to a stranger. Like, and I also was in denial. Like, so a lot of things I wasn't sharing because I was scared that it didn't happen or like that I am lying, you know? And so I think that my insecurity in that created a problem to where I wasn't able to be completely honest of what happened. So that made it really hard. And so nothing ended up coming out of that because the legal system sucks, but so it kind of just ended up getting put on the back burner and nothing really happened. And so the the kids were on a, what is it called, a, where the dad couldn't see them. But my sister told me that Daniel actually ended up admitting to everything that he did to me. Okay, not everything, but he admitted to a lot of things. He admitted to having pictures and videos of me, and he broke everything he had of me on it. He got a whole, whole new computer. He hid the computer actually in the clubhouse of where they were living, because they were living in like a condo situation, behind the couch. Yeah, so he wouldn't get caught. So this is what my sister tells me now. I actually just found this out like a couple weeks ago that he was actually going to go to the cops and confess. But he ended up being a lawyer and his lawyer was like, don't do that because you're going to be screwed if you do that. He's like, we can win this. He's like, we can totally get you off the hook. So he's pretty much letting Daniel that he can win this. And Daniel's like, okay, like I'd rather do that than go to jail, you know? So this lawyer has completely protected this man and it's sickening to me because I'm like, I hate the legal system because this lawyer 100% knows that Daniel did what he did and that he continues to do what he does, but he's protecting a straight up molester. Like, how is that okay? I still don't understand how that's okay. Because he got a good lawyer, well, a bad guy, but a good lawyer, there was no proof, no evidence. Basically, it was not a big enough case and it got thrown out. That was even more heartbreaking because I was like, so pretty much what happened to me is completely being invalidated. Yes. And it's not important to anyone. Nobody cares. And so... Which is yeah. so hard because, it, like, when you hear the whole Me Too thing or anything, it's always like, stand up for yourself. It's okay. We support you, blah, blah, blah. But then that wasn't the case for you. Yeah. But then it doesn't actually happen. Yep. That is our system, America. That is the system. That is three strikes. Cherie's abuser, not charged. Maddie's abuser, not charged. Anna's abuser, not charged. And at best, they are left with a paper trail. So if anyone else has to be harmed and chooses to come forward, then their testimonies will matter. I'll admit, before I heard these stories, I was always like, well, what if someone was falsely accused? That sucks so bad. Now, I'm irritated and wonder what on earth. Seriously, what can be done? No one should wrongfully be charged with such heinous crimes. If someone admits to a freaking lawyer, 
they should not be given the right to a trial. Ugh. Honestly, this sounds like a cop-out and maybe it is for me, but some things I just have to give to God. How can we ask girls to come out and to say these things and then the legal system just completely fails them? Thank heavens these women are warriors and speaking out. Anna's mental health got extremely worse. Being told by the legal system that I was lying and they wouldn't do anything about it, knowing that Daniel was free, that he was able to hurt other people, that what happened to me wasn't enough, that made me feel like I wasn't enough. Nobody's willing to protect me or stand up for me. It's like, I don't know. My dad, my dad always said this thing growing up. He was like, if a man ever hurts you, like, I would go behind bars immediately. And so I always hold him to that standard. But like, when this happened to me, it really ripped me apart with my dad. Like, why is my dad not standing up for me and, and like protecting me in the way that he promised he would, you know? And so it's like, this man deserves to be behind bars and my dad's not doing anything about it. With her worth completely shot, her depression got to the point where she didn't even know what she was living for. It felt as if it would never get better. She lived there until she was 17. During all of those years, she was taking care of herself. You know, the kind of taking care of yourself you do when you're super depressed, which is basically not taking care of yourself at all. Anna had lost the little family she had left, her friends, and all control of her life. When she first got home to her parents, she had gained some weight, and the guys that used to like her would tell her now that she was fat and ugly. She had nothing left. Anna's eating disorder got worse. A lot worse. I had nothing, and so I just was like, what's the point? I straight up hit rock bottom. So my eating disorder was definitely a control thing, and I feel like most people you talk to about eating disorders, that's usually what it is is that my life was completely not in my hands. I had no control over anything anymore. And so that was just something that I discovered I had control over. And I think a big part of it too was that I didn't want to live anymore. And so knowing that not eating was slowly killing me was like a success. I was like, this is an accomplishment. I'm slowly dying. Like my hair falling out, I was like, yes. Being able to feel my stomach literally eating my insides alive because I didn't give a food would distract me from like the emotional pain, from the physical pain I would feel, you know? It was straight up a control thing and a me not knowing my worth and me being told how fat and ugly I was. I thought that me starving myself and me being skinny was the way I was going to get people to like me and love me again and get that love that I needed. Again, she was still seeking love. So when you're not giving your body and mind the nutrition it needs, your mental health continues to decline rapidly. It was to the point that Anna's therapist recommend she moves out of her home or she would need to be put into foster care. Anna was 17 and moved in with one of her friends from church. Life was too much. Anna attempted suicide for the third time. I was like so broken at that point and so tired of my life and the way that it just was going and how there was no hope. I remember laying on my best friend's floor and I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm straight up done. So I grabbed all the pills I could find and swallowed all of them. And immediately I was like, this is it. This is the last time I'll ever have to experience any of this again. And Chelsea, I was so ready to go, like straight up. I've never been so ready. All the other times I was doing it, I think it was more of an escape of me trying to get out. But this time I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. Anna doesn't remember a lot after that. She was told that her best friend found her. Her dad was working that day, and do you remember his job? If not, let me remind you. He was a paramedic. So my dad rushed me to the fire department because the hospital was like 45 minutes away. 
My dad ended up trying to get me to drink charcoal so that obviously mm-hmm. I didn't die. And that's actually what kept me alive was drinking charcoal. And so then he drove me to the hospital. When a psychiatrist came in and they started asking questions, my dad had no idea I had any disorder like at all. Nobody really knew. So when a psychiatrist was asking me questions, he ended up being like, you have an eating disorder. And I was like, yeah, I know. My dad was like, what? Before they could address the mental health, they recommend she get help with the eating disorder first. No amount of therapy would be helpful if your brain doesn't have the proper nutrition. She was admitted into an eating order facility and was there for three months. I was way older than all the kids that were there, and so I was taking care of all of them. And so that whole three months I was there, I wasn't focusing on myself at all. I did not do the work on myself that I needed to because I was so focused on all the other kids that were there and making sure that they were eating, that they were healthy, that they were doing okay, you know? So I was like mama bear to all the kids there. And they were all really young. Like there, we had a five-year-old, like they were like, it was really, really young. Cause I was on the adolescent floor cause I wasn't quite 18 yet. Anna was released a day before her 18th birthday. She was still in the outpatient halfway house program and began to get sick again. And then was readmitted a short time after that. This time was different because she was now 18. Well, this time they put me in the adult floor which was a blessing because that way, like, I wasn't, t- like, obviously I still, like, had people where I was, like, worried about them and tried to take care of them. But this time, like, I seriously spent all the time working on myself. People would say that that's selfish, but, like, that's what I needed. I needed to figure out who I was. People were trying to push me all the time. They're like, I think you're ready. I think you're, and I, and this is what changed. This is what, like, this is why I got better was because I finally advocated for myself. I'm like, I am not leaving until I'm better. I'm like, I'm going to stay here. I'm not leaving until I I feel like I'm ready. Anna was there for six months. At the beginning, she wouldn't eat anything, not even a cracker. She slowly started to heal. Then unfortunately, when she was on the mend, she found out that her friend was moving. Now she literally had nowhere to go. She was homeless, and with even less will to live, she regressed. She had to get on a feeding tube and was fed through that for a month. So I was bedbound because of how sick I was. I couldn't stand up without like passing out, and I was stuck in a wheelchair. Like so, whenever we'd go to the cafeteria, because like you had to go to the cafeteria, it was part of like that's just what you have to do. Like even if you're not eating and you're just like on the tube, so I would carry on this pole with like food on it, getting fed through my nose while everyone's like crying because they don't want to eat, you know, like it was just a terrible situation, but they put you through that for a reason because it motivates you to eat or whatever. So I had to go no matter what, but this place was honestly like amazing. And I would advise anyone who has an eating disorder to go to this place because healing from an eating disorder has to be a choice and you have to want it. I talked to so many people that had eating disorders that are like, how did you get better? How did you do it? Like, how did you move past it? And I was like, I finally got to a point to where I wanted to. I was stuck in my room 24 seven. Unless I would eat. If I ate, I could come out of my room. If I didn't eat, I had to stay in there. I wasn't able to shower. I wasn't able to. That, that's all about like motivation, getting you, like trying to motivate the person to eat by like taking away those privileges. So I just remember laying there and I was just like, you know what? My entire life has been taken from me. I have been so abused. And so it just took me back to that little, little Anna that was never loved the way that she deserved to be loved. And so I kind of just got to a point where I was like, I'm going to take my life back. Like, I'm going to build that life that I want, that I wanted and what I needed. And I'm going to start taking care of myself, even if I'm by myself. I'm not going to let these people hurt me anymore. I'm done giving my mom power. I'm done giving Daniel power. Like, I'm done giving all these people power over my life. And I did a lot of therapy, too, to get to that point. 
my therapist was amazing and helped a lot. And I feel like if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been able to get as far as I did. But I finally was just like, you know what, I'm going to start doing it. Baby step by baby step, Anna started taking care of herself again, really taking care of herself. My therapist, everyone was like seriously shocked. They were telling me, they're like, Anna, we've never seen someone come in here as broken as you were and come out this strong. And I was like, thanks guys. I don't know how I did it. I, I, actually, I know how I did it. Like it's 100% God, God 100% did it. But I remember laying on my bed when I finally got to this realization of like, I'm gonna take my life back. And I was just like, God, like, is it gonna get better? Is it gonna be worth it to keep fighting for my life? And I remember being told if I take care of myself and get out, that I'm gonna have someone out there waiting for me when I get out. So I like was like, okay, like I'm gonna have someone. I'm not gonna be alone. You know, like, that was my answer. I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know if that was just like a friend. I didn't know to what extent that was, but feeling that sense of like peace and assurity that it was gonna be okay motivated me to be like, okay, like I'm gonna keep doing this and I'm gonna keep fighting. I'm not gonna give up. And she didn't give up. Eventually, Anna got out. And four days later, I met Noah. Immediately when I met him, like, after I talked with him, I was like, I know this man's going to be in my life forever. Whether it's just a friend or whatever, I know this is what God was telling me I was going to have. And so, like, obviously, as we started talking more and more, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to marry this man, I just started to realize so much more, like, that that's what God blessed me with. Like, he was like, you keep fighting, you keep pushing through, don't give up, and I'll bless you with this. So that was a really cool, like, situation for me to, like, witness that God straight up had a plan for me all along. There you have it. A woman who experienced this pain and had no one found hope inside herself and gave the glory to God. So I wondered, what is Anna's advice for someone going through heck right now, kind of all alone? And unfortunately, I hadn't realized, but my recording had stopped the first time I asked Anna this question and we had to finish the recording on a separate day. But when I asked Anna what her advice was, she stumbled around for a while through all of her thoughts because... This is indeed a personal matter and no one can really tell you how to handle it. But eventually Anna landed on a profound thought. She had said something along the lines of realizing no one ever took care of little Anna. And she decided little Anna deserved to be loved and taken care of. Now Anna is trying to build that life that little Anna desperately wanted and deserved. So I was able to finally like separate myself and be like that little Anna, the little me, never never got that life so I'm gonna build that life for her and so separating myself from my little me made it a lot easier for me to view myself as important or as worth it or as like worth just fighting for in general and so I think being able to view it not as yourself but as someone else was you were able to be more selfish in that way of being able to think about yourself and take care of yourself and be like I'm gonna focus on me Because I feel like the society makes it so bad to focus on yourself Mm -hmm. or it's just so selfish and you always need to think about everyone else. And so I think that can be really detrimental to your mental health. So that's my piece of advice is that you should always take care of that little, little you inside of you and give her what she or him what they need. I had a very similar breakthrough in one of my EMDR therapy sessions. Right now I'm working on finding my self-worth. My confidence is smaller than I'd like it to be, and I struggle to figure out what I want. But one therapy session a few months ago, I went back into my mind to the first memories where I felt unloved, 
or unwanted. I remembered back to when I would cry all the time as a kid. My friends never wanted to hang out with me. They always wanted to hang out with my sister, who is amazing, by the way. As I replayed that memory without judgment, I saw myself, the little me. I just wanted to be liked. I just wanted to be understood. So I imagined my now self scooping up that little me and hugging her. Big me realized I couldn't force people to play with me because what's the fun in that? I didn't want little me to have friends that were forced to be with her, but I realized I could play with me. So I scooped me up and hugged me, made me feel loved and important, and then asked little me what I wanted to do. And you know what I found out? It's great to play with me because we like all the same things. We sang really loud while swinging on the swing set in my backyard and just enjoyed ourselves. We felt completely free. Then my therapist asked me to go back into that scenario and see through the little me eyes. You know what I saw? I saw me, big me, as if it were through someone else's eyes. Big me was so kind and gentle, but silly and fun, not to mention looked like a beautiful princess. For the first time, I saw me and I loved her. I'm so grateful Anna brought this up because I needed to remember that therapy session. Healing takes time, so we need to remember these little breakthroughs. All of this is very recent for Anna. She is still healing, and like every healing journey, it goes up and down. I wondered, what does this new life look like that Anna and Noah are building? And honestly, I did not get the answer I was expecting because we finished this on another day. And each day comes with new challenges. And the second day of recording was a difficult mental health day. And if I'm keeping it real... I'm actually happy to not have a perfect ending where everything was resolved because life doesn't usually resolve like that. I go through like this cycle where I'm like, oh, like I totally feel like at peace about it. Like I forgive him. I'm over it. You know, it's like I'm moving on now. I'm building this life that's so like amazing, all this stuff. But then like it is like it hits me again, like and it will just like come in waves. And so it's like the worst feeling because I feel like I there's like this like hold my chest of the fact that I haven't been able to fully feel at peace about the outcome of what happened to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. What do you feel like you would want or need to have to hold? So I also hate that question because it's like, I don't want him to rot in jail for the rest of his life. Like, I don't want him to to suffer. But like, I think a big part of it is like, I just want to feel like, one, I'm being listened to and like heard. And two, like, that the world believes me, you know? And it's like, I can have a couple people believe me, but I just want the legal system to believe me, and I want Daniel to just confess. Like, even if he wants to just say, all of this happened, I feel like I will truly never be able to even believe myself until that happens. Like, I still, even sharing this with you, like, now, I have a hard time even believing myself. And so I feel like I can't fully heal from that because I'm not able to be truly honest with myself, if that makes sense. Wow. And so it's a very, like, heavy feeling. So whenever I think, like, I moved on from it, I really haven't. I just bury it. But it really is, like, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to carry it all the time. So to answer your question, I don't know what I need to fully heal from this, like, and to fully be able to move on. I think about it all the time. I'm like, I wish I could. But I think, like, the anxiety that I feel all the time, just even thinking about Daniel and the fact that he's free. Daniel just got remarried last month, 
Anna still has to see him and talk about the situation with her sister because she still has a case against him. At this point, she doesn't know if it'd be better to just completely have this all out of her life and mind, or if she still hopes for accountability. Sometimes we don't know what we want or need, and I think that's okay and not talked about enough. Like, it's okay not to know sometimes. So it's not how it used to be, but still, healing is in the process. I feel like it's not detrimental anymore to like me living my life. Like I feel like I'm still able to, but I just don't like that each new chapter of my life, he is coming along with still me. Still there. Yeah. And I've done like a lot of therapy on it and stuff, but I just don't know how to remove him. I feel like he took so much of my life that now it's like he has to be a part of it forever. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. like, obviously, like if I like could control that, like obviously I'd get rid of him, but like I don't know how to do that. Like, there's so many things that either reminds me of what happened or, I don't know, it's just really hard to to move on from it. I, like, had forgiven him before in the very beginning. And I think a big part of it was because I blamed myself for all of it. And so I was able to forgive him. But, like, I did forgive him. But now, like, I don't feel like, which is probably terrible because it's like, you can do anything. But, like, I don't feel like I'm capable of forgiving him. And I don't think I ever will be able to forgive him because of how much pain he's caused, not only me, but like so many other people. And I think I beat myself up a lot about it too, which doesn't help anything because I'm like, I should forgive him. Like if I forgave him, then I'd be able to move on. And like, I'm the one that's hurting right now. He's not hurting. Like he's literally just doing whatever he wants. And so I'm the one that's sitting over here, like in pain and stuff. And so I just kind of blame myself in the fact that like, if I was just to be able to forgive him and just like move on, then I probably wouldn't feel this way about it. I just hate the fact that, like, he still has so much power over me. He took so much of my life away. In a lot of ways, he's, like, still trying to take that away from me. People will say, like, oh, like, he's not actually physically taking it away. Like, you're choosing that to happen. But, like, that's where, like, I'm stuck. Like, I'm stuck. I'm like, how, how do I choose for that not to happen? Like, how do I, like, take my life back? Like, how do I, you know, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So then I just, I push it away and I'm like, I'll deal with that another day. And I just truck along. Truck along. That's why I still have so many just like mental breakdowns where I'm just like, I'm so exhausted from life. Like I'm just exhausted. And I think that's because I carry that weight everywhere I go. Out of the 20 years of Anna's life, it's only been one so far where she decided to take her life back. And as you can see, the struggle is real. Rewiring your brain to think a different way after 19 years of being in survival mode is really difficult. It literally has only been one year. Like, I've only had one year where I finally have been able to figure out who I am and build that life that I want. And, like, I keep beating myself up because I'm like, oh, like, I wish I could be so much farther. Like, I wish, like, I didn't have, like, this. he didn't have a effect on me anymore or, like, my the trauma with my mom or my childhood doesn't have an effect on me anymore. But I'm like, I feel like I need to give myself more grace, I guess, in the fact that, like, that was literally 19 years and it's only been one year. And so, like, I know there's hope that, like, my life is going to get better. This won't weigh on me as much just because, you know, like it's going to like it takes a long time to heal from that much of your life yeah. being taken away. But and like, I think it's easy to do all the work and then you're like, oh, I'm over this. And then you take a break from doing all the work and then it creeps back in. Like, when's the last time you took care of little Anna? Yeah, like I understand that. But it's like, how much of that is my priority? Do I make that a priority? And I think. It gets harder when you're married and you're an adult and you have bills to pay. And yeah, but not say. even that. But, like, 
it is so hard like dealing with your mental health with a spouse like can we just talk about that for a minute like it is so challenging because like if you're struggling like then he's struggling and then it's like well then you feel guilty because you're like why like why now i'm struggling which was making you struggling which is like now it's like my fault you know like it is exhausting like and so now i'm having to like adjust to that too because when i was really struggling like where i was depressed or my anxiety was really bad or like i was having like traumatic like episode or like whatever i was on my own nobody had to see that and so i was able to process through that or like get myself through that and so now it's like i have someone with me like 24 7 all the time and so they see those weak moments so it is like so challenging to work through that and like figure out how to do that nobody ever really talked about getting married with mental health and what that looked like don't get me wrong like i love being married but there's been a lot of things internally that i've had to figure out because i'm married now and i don't have like my own space like before like i would just i could cry like i could just cry my bed and just cry myself to sleep you know like if i'm struggling but like now it's like i can't because there's a whole other person that knows everything about you now and like if you're in a bad mood it makes him a bad man. He carries that weight as well. So then it comes to like the whole guilt thing. So I feel like the level of guilt that I feel right now about so many different things is just really, really high. And it's just really overwhelming. Whether it's about what happened with Daniel or just the way my life is now. Like I'm just living myself for everything. Why do we do this to ourselves? It's not as bad or frowned upon to be sad when life is hard. That is a-okay. But when your life is going good and you're having what you deemed as negative emotions, then it's like, why am I not happy? It's even comparing your trials to your own trials. Just because someone isn't molesting Anna right now doesn't mean that marriage isn't difficult. I feel like I think that something has to be happening to me or that I have to be being hurt by someone and that there has to be some like justification of why I feel the way that I do. Does your mind believe that too? Does there have to be an explanation as to why we feel certain feelings? When we're happy, we don't go looking around for justification of why. So why can't we just let sadness be? Let anger be. It's easier to tell you this, but to live it takes practice. So I'm grateful for this reminder. You know, like PTSD is real. Like the trauma doesn't have to continue on. It's past trauma that's happened that is causing those feelings and causing you to struggle, you know? Mm -hmm. Like there's days where like I will literally just wake up and I'll just be having, like, a mental health day. I just feel super low. I just have really low self-confidence. The day's just not going good and not being able to just go through that day. I feel like I'm not even really able to give myself time to even feel those feelings. I feel like I have to. It's like moms. They talk about that all the time. They're like, oh, like, I have to be a mom. I want to just lay in bed. Like, I'm depressed or whatever, but I have kids. Like, I have to get them up. I have to take them to school. I have to make them food, you know? And it's like, that's how I feel being married I feel like I'm not able to be selfish and take that time for myself because I need to be strong for my husband and I need to make dinner for my husband even though like I literally just want to crawl up and just die this is so true I've recently been officially diagnosed with depression and anxiety while that's difficult for me it's not just me what hurts me hurts both my spouse and me Not to mention, you can't just shut yourself in a room and process or self-care when there's others depending on you in your life. Sometimes you do have to face it. And sometimes it's like, let's stick a pin in this and just been watch Netflix until my kids grow up and I can find time to do that. Okay, obviously that's not the healthy option, but it's a sad reality for so many. 
Not only are we worried about our own mental health, but it doesn't feel fair that two people or more have to struggle through this. There's like this stigma that when you first get married, you're like happy and in love and which like I am. But like people kind of just like leave your life a little bit. Like, oh, she's got married. Like I'm going to give her space. And so I've honestly like been really, really lonely because I'm like, like I'm still struggling, y'all. Mm-hmm. Life is still really hard. Like even though I'm married, but I feel like I can't show that or express them because I don't want people to think that like I'm in a terrible marriage or like my husband doesn't love me or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like I'm not actually happy with my life or like my life actually is sucking, you know? And so like I've been keeping that in, but it's like I'm still struggling all the same. I'm still struggling the same like internally as I was before, but yeah, I don't know, you know? Yeah. But, like, but I'm also not because like I am happier now and I am in a better situation, but like I still struggle with depression and I still struggle with anxiety and I still struggle with my trauma and PTSD and like all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, and I feel like I will for the rest of my life struggle yeah. with that. It will be in different extremes or in different ways, but I feel like it's always going to be something that is with me and I'm okay with that. Sometimes we think we can work through things and be healed and then it's just done. This shows that the experience of life isn't just one circumstance after another, you get past it, then move on to the next. No, it in fact actually builds on each other. What you've been through becomes part of you, like rolling up a snowball. The things you roll through add to who you are and in some form or another changes you and rolls with you into the next thing and the next thing and the next. Now Anna is in a new state, newly married, needing to make new friends and build a new life. And making new friends as an adult is so weird. Can we just put that out there? But especially for Anna, who isn't sure how much to share, what people will accept. Usually people get to know each other by telling them about their life. Unfortunately for Anna, she feels what she has to share isn't all dandy or fun to talk about. I feel like that's just like, dang, this girl's like has serious issues because I feel like that's my like and this like makes me like honestly depressed to think about but like that's literally my life like it's just been like one trial after another and so to not be able to share anything that was like happy or like joyful is really hard healing is so uncomfortable and takes a long time it's frustrating when you can imagine the life you want but you can't seem to make it reality when you've lived in survival mode for so long it becomes easy to expect the worst i always expect the worst situation like out of everything because that's what I was dealt for so long and that's just what I expect and so living a life where you expect that is exhausting and you're not able to enjoy those happy moments you're not able to soak it in because the entire time that you're in happy moments you're stressing about well what if I lose that so what do you do when your life was really difficult and then you're in quote unquote the good part but your body now relaxes the adrenaline is gone and the body reacts. Anna is newly married, living with a beautiful in-law family that loves her, yet it's only been a year since she has found her worth. I don't know if you do this, but I almost feel guilty when I have what seems like the perfect life. However, I'm stressed or depressed from past traumas. You start to feel guilty and double think everything. Anna could relate to that. Now going through that, I'm like, I have no room to feel this way with like what I've been given and like the blessings that I have right now and like the life that I've been handed now, like I should be happy. There it is, that sneaky should. Why when we feel one way do we feel guilty and like we should be feeling a certain way? Feelings are chemicals going through our bodies 
How do we stop the judgment of our feelings? Honestly, I'm still learning that for myself. You can be struggling with the past stuff, layered with new stuff, love being married, and struggle with being married all at the same time. We don't have to sort it out. Seriously, can we just let it be? I wasn't expecting that, is all I'm trying to say. Like, I wasn't expecting that to be something where I'd have to learn, you know? I thought I'd be able to just struggle and have his support or, like, have him there and be able to. But I didn't realize how much of a weight that is on other people when it's your spouse. Because I had all those mother figures growing up and all that stuff. And, like, yeah, like, it'd make them sad when I was sad or whatever. But they had their own lives as well. Yeah. Like, they had their own family and stuff. Now that I have a husband and, like, he's literally, like, a part of my life. And, like, the choices that I make also affects his life type of way. It's just different. Even so, after all of this conversation, Anna still said this sentence, and it shocked me, and shows that there is hope, and humans are so very resilient. She said she wouldn't change what has happened to her. You can honestly say you wouldn't change it? Yeah. Without a doubt, I would not change anything that I went through, whether it's my childhood with my mom, or the abuse that I received from my brother-in-law. Like, everything I've gone through, I wouldn't change it because... The amount that I learned from all of that and everything has made me who I am today. And I've been able to help so many people because of what I've gone through that it makes it so worth it. Because of the things that I went through, it made it to where I had to take care of myself in a way. Like, I just, I learned a lot more than I feel like an average person gets to learn. And so I know that I was supposed to go through it because I needed to know that. Whether it's for something that happens in the future or like to protect my own kids or like whatever, like I know that I was supposed to go through it for a reason. I mean, obviously, like anyone would wish for a better life than that. You know? Yeah. Anyone would wish to be able to just have had a childhood that was just rainbows and butterflies. Even though I didn't have that, I still, I'm just grateful that I did go through what I went through. And on that note, I asked Anna the burning question What do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? I wish people could see like who. I am going to be, or like who I wish I could see in myself. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> like that's what I wish people could see. This has been another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. If you have a story to share or you know someone that does, please reach out to me on my website, Facebook, or Instagram. The link for all these things should be in the show notes. Will, they will be in the show notes. I'm going to put them there for you. And as always, be kind because you never know what's going on beyond the picket fence. You're still here? This was a long one, but so, so good. So if you want one more golden nugget from our conversation, here you go. You have no idea. Like when I'm at church and I'm just singing, like seriously, like there are some times where like I am straight up like hardcore struggling and I'm like, tell you what else, I'm just singing a song, but like I'm definitely not. Like I'm having hardcore, like deep, like terrible thoughts. Yeah, no, I think that all the time. But then I'm like, I'm glad nobody can read my thoughts. But I also wish they could because I feel like people understand understand so much more of like who you are and like what you have to deal with because so much of it is internal and nobody sees it. Nobody truly sees, like, how much you're struggling. And I used to, like, I don't know where it changed for me, but I used to be so happy. Like, here you go. My life has not had trials like yours. I had an amazing childhood, and my parents both loved me. I don't Mm -hmm. think I've been molested that I can recall. Like, I had some little high school drama here and there. And then I got married and had, like, one little tiny trial with our marriage in the beginning. And then I had everything with Jackson, but, like, that's it. And here I am still really sad. So, like, 
it doesn't matter if your life was really hard or really perfect. It's a good point. If you have depression, if you have mental illness, my mental illness is, I would say, just as valid as yours, I hope, I think. Like, yeah, no, it is. Like, I don't know. And people say that stupid thing of like, the strongest people get the hardest battles or whatever, but I'm like, actually, everyone literally just gets hard battles. And so that's why I want to tear down the white picket fences and connect because that's the only thing that is going to get me through. It's like having connection mm-hmm. and realizing this life is really hard and we need each other to get through it. A lot of these things we hide and want to keep to ourselves because we don't want people to think we're negative or whatever. But I'm, I'm also like, maybe we're supposed to walk through these things so that we can connect with other people who are walking with things so that they can connect with other people. Like, I think it's God's way of keeping us connected connected and like I actually love that you brought that up because like I was thinking about that in the car when I was listening to my story I'm like honestly I hate that even I'm even sharing my story because like straight up people have been raped like people have gone through so much worse than I've gone through and this is like nothing and I talk about my story like this all the time because I'm like this really is like nothing like I barely had anything done to me and so I constantly compare my story because I'm like people have had so much worse why am I even here right now? And so I think it's good to like have that perspective because I struggle with that all the time, especially with my sexual abuse story. Because I'm like, this is like nothing compared to other people. Yeah. Like they've been through so much worse. I guarantee if you talk to Cherie, the girl who wrote the book that inspired this series because her book came out, if you talk to her, she would be very validating and say that is real for you. And that is like... You know yeah. what I'm saying? I like, mean, that's what I... Only yeah, us I mean, are hard on ourselves. It's so... Like, no, I agree. But, like, I just like that you said it because it, it's, like, so true that we we all think like that. Yeah. So we need each other. Okay, I'm going to stop it now. That's really the end. So, ta-ta for now.